0: You are now listening to the Claimant Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your Joyologist on this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We get into the journey of their life, the ups, the downs, how they've gotten through it all, and how they got to where they are and get through the day today. Because I believe that our feelings of success, of worthiness, of being enough, of being fulfilled, are not out there somewhere. Once I do this, have this, be this, then I'll feel enough, then I'll feel worthy worthy? Nope. We'll just keep on chasing those feelings, but we won't truly feel them unless we are claiming them and feeling them, seeing them for ourselves. And sometimes that's a moment to moment thing. You got to claim it. On today's episode, I have Kathy Heller. Wow, does she have a great story and a great mission. She is the host of a podcast that is nearly 15 million downloads now. And she wrote a book with the same name, Don't Keep Your Day Job. So I had to know what was her journey? What was her day job? And how did she find something, a way to make money doing what she loved? And then now she's come to teach coach inspire so many others to do the same. I love this because if you know me, you know, I don't feel like you have to, you know, like it's not like you pick a job you love and you never work a day in your life. No, I've called bullshit on that quote. But I, I love her perspective and her coaching on you can do what you love and make money. You maybe just have to ask yourself some more questions. So let's get into the episode. Mm-hmm. All right. So Kathy, I was going to say the first thing I know about you, but that's not true. The first thing I know about you is that you wrote a book and run a podcast, have a podcast host that is both called Don't Keep Your Day Job. But what I'm guessing came before that is that I've seen you're a songwriter and you have some background with music was that was music like always your calling? like were you like young and like, I want to be a musician? Yeah,
1: when I was a kid, uh, I loved to sing, and my mom is a piano teacher. We used to like sing around the piano, and uh, I didn't feel so good about myself growing up. Um, there was a lot of fighting in my house, and my parents got divorced, and I think I felt kind of like not worth that much or maybe invisible. And then when I was nine, I auditioned for a musical in the community theater called Free to Be You and Me. Um, And I, I actually got a part and I was on stage singing and I felt more alive than I'd ever been. And I just wanted to be on stage singing forever. And then I just did a lot of that growing up and I was in a bunch of musicals like Grease and anything goes and cabaret and into the woods. And I just kind of spent my life doing that, which made me feel good because my theater friends felt like real friends and my friends at school, I felt like nobody understood me or maybe I was too sensitive or I don't know. I didn't quite fit in. Um, and so, yeah, I dreamed that one day, uh, I would be able to just sing all the time. And I didn't think I could write music. So I thought I'd have to be like in a musical or something. But then I started to try to write music. And it, it felt like I should just keep doing that and seeing what happened with it. And so I did.
0: And how old were you when you try, decided to try to start writing? Like in high school? or. Like 23 or something. So you're in high school, I'm guessing, doing all the musical theaters you can. Then like, did you what happened after high school? Did you go to college? Were you studying musical theater or like were you like I'm going to like this is what I'm going to do? I'm going to be on stage. Yeah. Well, in high
1: school, things went from bad to worse. Um, So my parents were divorced and my mom was struggling with her mental health. So she was trying to commit suicide. I was kind of home with her. and I kind of fell apart in a lot of ways, and and my high school drama teacher did not like me very much or think that I was worth very much. So she used to give me like the understudy for the leading role, and then nothing else. So I actually never got on stage to sing. Um, but what did happen is I would be in the talent show every year and sing some cool song like More Than Words or some Carol King song or something, and uh, people would say like, "You really sing well." But I felt really low and I barely graduated from high school. I was hardly making it to school. Um, in fact, the very, the very day of graduation, my homeroom teacher, Mr. Jax, told me to show up in his office because in order for me to graduate, I had to show proficiency, which meant I had to get an A on all the final exams because I had missed so much school and had done so poorly. And I, uh, I studied the last chunk of time because I had to catch up. But sure enough, that morning of graduation, he said, You got to meet me that morning. I'll let you know what your grades were because I had to take these extra proficiency exams. Um, And in the end, I didn't get an A on everything. And he looked at me and he said, It didn't work. So they're going to make you repeat this year, but I'm going to change the grade because I know you need to get the hell out of here because your mom is really in a bad spot and you've become consumed with that and no one really knows, but I see you. I watch what's happening and I, I see you in the hall and I, I know it. And so I'm going to change the grade. So he changed the grade and said, go to graduation. They're starting in 15 minutes. Get out of here. And so I went to graduation. I wasn't in the right clothes. I didn't have anything. And um, they handed me like a, an empty something because there was no graduation diploma in there. And um and then I I just decided to try to get out And, and going to college was great because I had no money and I couldn't afford to do anything, but if I could get student loans. So I drove up from where I lived in South Florida to University of Florida, got out of the car, went inside and they said, Are you joking? You cannot come to University of Florida. Like you don't have good grades, no way. So I got back in the car, drove two and a half hours further, went to Florida State, walked into the office of admissions and they said, Your transcript is horrible we can't admit you but you know what we're starting summer session tomorrow and we can put you on academic probation and you can start tomorrow and if you get straight A's you can start in the fall so i did and they gave me a dorm room and they gave me a student loan and thank god it saved my life and then i was in this huge big you know pond and i started to figure out who the heck i was and i was taking lots of classes and trying to understand why the heck are we on this planet when it feels like being an adult it's like the worst thing ever. You know, like, why do I want to grow up? Just to be in a bad marriage, just to feel bad about myself, to have a job that I don't love. It was like a big cautionary tale. And anyway, um, I wound up studying religion and humanities and I became editor of the college paper because I had so much I wanted to share and say. And I was just a messy doer. Like, I would do things, but very messy. And I just didn't let it stop me that I didn't know what I was doing. I just felt compelled. I had so much I needed to get. Out. And I had so much empathy for humans because I, I felt so much. I was dealing with so much. And that became a gift. And, uh, and then after college, then I, I wound up uh, what, coming to Los Angeles to try to do the music thing.
0: So even going back to high school and you're missing a lot of school to stay home with your mother, is that because she's asking you to or you felt like you had to take care of her? Um, and is it do you have
1: siblings? I have an older sister and she was already out of the house. Um, it was a little bit of both. It was so horrendous at the time, you know, um, there was a night where my mom tried to commit suicide. I came home from work. I was working at blockbuster video because I could stay there till midnight. So I could be out of the house, came home. Um, I'm 15 and I'm working till midnight. Right. And it's a Tuesday. And I come home and I see my mom in the living room and it's a really ugly scene What I see, and I don't know what, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, um, I'm like shaking and I don't even have a driver's license at the time. Um, I rode my bike home from work at midnight. I mean, how dangerous, like it just, the whole thing was ridiculous and nobody was minding the store. And anyway, I get in my mom's car with her. I don't have a driver's license. I have a learner's permit. And I drive to my dad's place where he's living with his girlfriend who he left my mom for and had an affair with. And I knock on the door. It's like late at night. And he comes to the door and he says, you can never come here at this time. Like her kids are asleep. Like why on earth would you make that decision? And I, I said, this is what's going on at home. And he slammed the door.
0: Oh my God.
1: And I drove back home and there's like canals on either side of me. And I was like, I'm just going to turn into the canal. Like, I just don't want this anymore. And I got home and I got a call from, um, my sister and she said, yeah, you know, you sound horrible. And I couldn't sleep because I know what's going on. And I, you know, I'm calling all night and no one's answering. And she said, do you know, the story of Pandora's box? And I said, no. And she said, there's a story about how there was a box and every single quality, every single item, every single thing in the world was in this box, color and, and love and passion and flowers and mountaintops, like every single thing, everything was in this box and the box got opened and everything flew out except one thing stayed before, before they could finally, you know, before every single thing flew out, they closed the box. So one thing remained. Finally, they caught one thing. And you know what that one thing is? And I said, what? And she said, hope. And if you can hold on to that one thing, that there might really be daylight on the other side of this, you're going to keep going. And she said, "If you jump, I jump." So like, you cannot give up. Like, you cannot take your own life or do anything insane. And then uh, she flew down from where she was living in New York City. She was a waitress, sleeping on a box spring, you know, trying to live her own dreams. And uh, she flew down, and she was like, "I'm I'm not letting you fall." And that was what life was like. So it's like, of course I was missing school. You know, you can't really deal with the kids who are looking at what jeans you're wearing and the homework assignment about King Tut when you're where I was emotionally.
0: And so I'm guessing then you must not have had any close, like real friends, just like surface no. level. Yep. And so pretty lonely experience, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, it was pretty lonely and I felt, and you know, my mom who loves me so much, you know, and I don't, I don't blame her for it because I I knew what it was really like for her, but she used to say, you're not enough. I can't live for you. Oh, you are not Jesus. enough.
0: Yeah.
1: And I, I knew that that was true also that she needed to live for herself. And at the same time, I also wanted someone to say like, you're enough and I'm going to show up for yeah. myself so I can show up for you. So yeah, there was so much, but looking back, all of that has a hundred percent led me to what I do right now and, and all the fulfilling things I have in my life. So you can't really take one away from the other. You really can't.
0: No, I get it. And like, yeah, my own experiences and like sort of aha in high school definitely have led me to my own path and all the other things. Um, And yeah, how amazing of that, your teacher seeing that for you and doing that for you. I got chills when you said that he did that. And so then, yeah, when that happened, I'm guessing before that you weren't planning on college or were you in your mind? Like, how can I what's next? Or were you thinking I'm going to have to go back to high school? I'm going to have to go back to high school. And so then once he passed, you're like, OK, what can I do next? Like, what's my ticket out of here?
1: I knew I was going to get out of there. I didn't know what that would look like, but it was like I couldn't handle. There was so much codependency. There was just so much. I had no self. I was just drowning. Like I had to get out of that apartment,
0: you know. And so, so you go to college, and you started just study anything that interested you. Got super involved in everything. It sounded like you were just like putting your full self into whatever.
1: Yeah, was. I mean, first I was taking the the traditional classes, the math and the science and the English, and then I couldn't do that either. I was not, it was not sustaining me. So I asked, you know, in the office. I said, can I take other things and get credit? And they said, you can take anything you want. You can create your own major. You can be an interdisciplinary major. You can take a humanities combination of classes. I said, oh my God, great. I just want to study the things that actually matter to me right now. So I took classes in psychology, religion, sociology, anthropology, because I was craving meaning, I was craving answers. And I wanted to study that. So I just exclusively studied all of those things. And I would learn about Buddhism and write papers on meditation. And I would learn about the world and, and different indigenous tribes and how they felt they related to the world and spirituality and what was consistent about all these tribes and the practices they had, which kept leading me back to wanting something more transcendental, more something bigger than myself. I wanted, I think we all want belonging and connection and we want purpose. And so I was looking for a purpose. I was looking for, why are we here? What makes it worth it? What are we here to do? And hearing all these different perspectives on that was really helpful. Um, and then after college, I got um, an offer to do this free trip to Jerusalem, which I was only going to do because my, my friend was doing it and it was free. I grew up Jewish, but like completely secular. So like it wasn't religious at all. just was like, okay, that's a fun thing to do after college for two weeks. I don't know what I'm doing anyway. And I wound up going for two weeks and there was something going on with me. There was something very present that was happening while I was there. And I decided to stay there. And I I stayed for almost three years, Wow, which was a big detour. Um, And while I was there, I think what I learned is that every single one of us, is put here to offer something that will help make the world more whole. And I learned texts that were 3,000 years old in you know, Aramaic and Hebrew and broke my teeth understanding these very old things that I said, oh my God, there's so much wisdom in this. No wonder it survived. Like, listen to what this is saying. Um, and I felt like we are each... A masterpiece. We are a piece of the master. There's something bigger that we can't put our finger on and it's channeling through us. And so I felt that was so the remedy to what I needed was knowing that I was not only enough, but I was needed. And that my little messy perspective or talent or whatever, it's like I'm being called. I was assigned. Like every one of us has been assigned to show up. And this whole idea of like, who am I to do this? Right? People are like, who am I to start a podcast? Who am I to write a book? Who are you not to do it? If you're here, we need you. There's 7 billion people in the world.
0: Yeah. And even if you have the same share, the same message or purpose or as someone else, you might in a different way, but our stories and perspective and everything is always so uniquely us. Yeah.
1: Not to mention anything that ever gets in is repetition. And we need to hear everything 5 million times. So we need <laughs> to hear it 5 million times. So if you're in the camp of this, it's like, you're part of that crowd that's going to say that and chant that over and over yeah. and over again. Good, good. Like add your frequency to that. Like that is a hundred percent
0: worthy of a cause. Yeah, I um did this uh like workshop last year and you had to, come out of it with like figuring out what your calling was and it it had to start with oh man now I'm forgetting it like people this so meaning like usually become alive doing something for other people or something but it was like I'm a I don't know I can't remember the meaning but mine was like people uncovering and honoring who they are was how it went but then I was like nope by the end of the day I was like no I had to add the word constantly so people constantly uncovering and honoring who they are because like we fucking forget every fucking minute like you know it's like yes i'm on top of the world this is my mission or this is that And then like doubt fear whatever all of it creeps in it's like that we have to constantly (laughs) uncover (laughs) and honor who we are even if you don't know what that means Yeah. yeah Um, Okay, so also that's major. You go to on a trip for two weeks to Jerusalem and then you're just like, I guess you just just felt like I need to be here. And so whatever. And I just
1: kept trusting the process, like extend my trip, extend it a little longer. Um, It was also a complete war zone. This is 2001, two and three. So we're talking about during that period, 9-11 happened here and there was literally every single week. One or two suicide bombings where I was living. Now that brings your life tremendous purpose all of a sudden because every minute counts. Mm-hmm. You are uh, you are looking at life from a much more serious. Life is serious. Life is a gift. Life is what am I doing if I'm here? Right. So, and I, every week was like, I'm going to go home next week. I can't handle this. This is crazy. This is so terrifying. I can't handle it. But there was something like we're seeing now with this horrible thing that's going on in the world with this virus. You're seeing also while that's happening and while that's true, you're seeing connection, Mm -hmm. you're seeing generosity, you're seeing people come together and people will talk about remembering New York city during nine 11 and how they felt their neighbors were their family members. That's what it felt like to live in the city of Jerusalem that was being surrounded by neighbors that wanted to kill them. And the people in the city, you know, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, everyone living there who was on the side of let's be together was so together in such a powerful way that it gave life so much meaning. It was hard to be like, oh, I'll just go back to South Florida where I grew up and go to the mall. Like that didn't feel like the right move. Um, even though it was so hard and scary, the Sabaro pizzeria blew up and then I mean, just so graphic and so scary and so close to literally where I was living, like blocks away every time. And
0: to stay there, are you, were you like doing some sort of like work-study program? Are you getting some sort of jobs? Are you just doing everything you I was you in can? school. Okay. I
1: was studying. So yeah. There was like a million different things. programs for English speakers and you can learn philosophy, texts. You can learn mysticism, Kabbalah. Like there's so many things you can do. And of course there's student loans and you can live in the dorms. Got and it. Yeah. So just like in, in a lot of cities, I'm sure so have basically, that. yeah,
0: you're, move, then go to like a different college. And that's how you're able to stay there. Keep getting more loans. Yep, keep Exactly. Running. Got it. So then what was what made you finally then leave? And where did you go next?
1: I felt like I wanted I remember going to this, there's a there's an incredible um, art therapy type of a class that you could go to there. And I went one day and And the teacher would like share some mystical text and then put on classical music and give you paints and let you kind of like explore, which is so fun. And I remember drawing like this one river that had an end. And then this other river that just went off the page and then I got another page and attached it to my paper and it kept going. And I realized that I wasn't ready for the answers and I didn't want the river to end. I wanted to keep going and not know where I was Mm -hmm. going. And so I was in this duality of like, do I just move there and stay in this cocoon that felt very whole, very spiritual, very much a life that's so different than where I grew up outside of Miami. It felt very much like this is where people wake up every day with intention. And especially in Jerusalem, like it's a I'm sure it's similar to certain parts of Tibet or certain parts of Sedona, Arizona. There's a, there's like a, you're there for, for the energy, you know, otherwise you go to, you want the food and the disco, go to Tel Aviv. It's gorgeous. You can see Gal Gadot walking down the street. It's amazing. It's got a whole, but Jerusalem is a spiritual epicenter, right? Like it's an eat, pray, love. That's why she went to India. So I was looking at that and, um, and I was like, I guess I could just stay here, but I realized I don't want the answers. I actually want to go back into the question. And I felt as though I also maybe had something more now to, to to add to the questions and and maybe to give people a little bit of spark. And so I moved to Los Angeles sight unseen. I had never been here, never visited here, but I knew I wanted to do music. I didn't know what that looked like. And so I just followed the whisper and I was like, I'm going to go to LA and see what happens.
0: And so you just moved there, not knowing anywhere, anything, anybody. No one didn't Nothing. have a plan. Mm-mm. So what did you do? <laughs> no.
1: So I got an apartment and I got a job. Yeah. Right, I needed a job. Didn't have parents to help me with that. Um, and I just sort of like got a job. Got went on Craigslist, found a job. Just like and any type of job. Yeah, I was working. I was working in a casting office. uh, That was a job I saw online. So I got a job. It was in reality TV, actually. It was like working for shows like Extreme Makeover. It was really fun. I actually liked it, but
0: I didn't even... That's funny. I had for a lot of friends that worked
1: on Extreme Makeover. That's so funny. And I didn't even know what it was when I saw the job listing. I just needed a job. So I get a job, get an apartment. Okay, this is how much your rent is. This is how much your job's paying you. Cool, I'm doing this. So I did that. But I really wanted to write music. And I was writing music on the side and asking questions like... All right, so who would I need to meet, and what songs would I need to write? And I was writing mediocre songs, and the songs were getting a little better. And I would go into co-writing sessions after work with a a person, someone new, who wrote some kind of music. And I would like have my head in my hands, kind of embarrassed. My songwriting skills were not so great, and I just kept showing up. But every time, I wanted to cancel those sessions, but they just got a little better, and I was so glad I went. Until finally, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, I can hardly believe it. But after a little while. I was such a hustler. Like Tony Robbins, I remember him saying like, ask the right question, ask the right question. And my question was always like, all right, so who do I need to meet? And how would I meet that person? Okay. So now I found the name of a person who works at this Capitol Records or this one. So what would I send them? And how would I show up for them? And how would I I just keep asking the questions and then doing the next thing. I'd ask a question then do the next thing. Long story short, I got a record deal. I was signed to Interscope actually. And, um, And then a few months later, I was dropped. But um, Ron Fair was my producer for the moment. And I was with him. They were recording a special version of Paparazzi for the VMAs. And I'm like sitting there, like listening to... I'm your biggest fan. I'll follow you until you love me. I'm like, I'm sitting here for this, you know, I'm here for this. I love that we just got um, a little taste of your voice. I was like, oh yeah, yeah you exactly. can <laughs> She's it, girl. Um, and then a few months later I got this call, you know, we're not going to be able to do this record. We're not hundred percent clear that we're going to sell tons and tons of copies. So we're not going to sell the record. So I wound up long story short again, I wound up getting a bunch of day jobs and I worked in a nonprofit. I was like, Oh, if I can't do what I love, I'll try to be nice to people and help people. And I was working for this oncologist who was supposed to be doing all these great things for cancer patients. And instead I had this awful, serious, like a me too moment, moment with him uh-huh. where I, I came into, he, I knew he was weird, but I came into his office and I said like, do you need anything else? And he's like, you could sit on my lap. And I, I swear to you. And then I was alone in his office. Then he locked the door and then he walked toward me. And then he said to me, you know, I live really close by in Homeby Hills and I have this amazing art collection, personal art. Why don't you come home with me? And I'm standing there thinking. So I go, okay, And then he goes, let's go. And I look out in the hall and there's all these people who are cancer patients who need what we're what this organization.
0: So he's doing this like in the middle of the day, too. So disgusting. He's doing it. But he's also prioritizing his own gross pleasure. Then like, let me put all these cancer patients it was
1: gross. So we're walking towards his car and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And on the spot, I say, you know what? Let me follow you. I'll take my car because then after I go to you, I have to be somewhere, but I'll fly. And he goes, okay, cool. So I'm following him out of the lot and he turns left and I'm like on the spot just thinking and I'm like, oh, I'm obviously going to turn right. And so I left and never went back and never got my last two weeks of pay because never went back. He's just so disgusting. Um, and there were other little things that he had done. Um, he bought me a scarf when he came back from this trip at one point and like put it around my neck and touched my face and said things to me. And like, this is a married man who like, he it was like so gross. Thank God I didn't go to his house. Right. We don't know what would have happened there, but
0: I, I left. I'm going to go I completely back, left. I, okay. I, I like to so, read really it into detail. <laughs> I'm going back. to so even to first, you first get to LA, you get this job, but you're like, I'm going to songwrite the fact that you start getting these songwriting sessions. To me, that's like just the fact that, yeah, you've got gumption. You're putting yourself out there that you're saying you're asking these questions. What did you do? Did you just start talking to people and say, I'm a songwriter? I want to write, like, did you just start talking to anybody you knew and said that you wanted to write? Yeah. And it I was totally- the most courageous thing in the world. Cause I was so
1: scared and so not good at it. I, I was, but I would like, Literally, I was on my way to these sessions and I would be like, you're an idiot. Why would you go? You can barely play three chords. Oh my God. And then I would sit there and I would be like, oh my God, this person is being nice to me. And they know me now through this other person. And I don't know what I'm doing, but then I would somehow come away from the session, having added something, I would come up with a lyric. I'd come up with a melody line and it And anyway, I wound up, so I got dropped from the label, worked in a nonprofit, hated that experience. I was talking to a friend and I said to her, what am I going to do? I can't have my dream job, job right? I got dropped from the label. You were signed to a
0: label. You're making your own music. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was going to be a rock star. I was literally sitting there like in the room with people making records and and getting to tour the world.
0: And did you start to actually even record? Did you record the record? And then they decided. We started working on the music. We started to look at like... So you're like in the professional music studio. Label is backing you. It's fucking happening. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, we recorded at the Henson
1: studio, which used to be A&M records. And that studio is amazing. There's so much history there. We are the world was recorded there. Joni Mitchell recorded blue there. So it's a a, kind of an incredible thing to be walking in those studios, smelling that, you know, that the wood paneling in those rooms, like knowing who was there and and then yeah, you're dropped and you're back into like reality. Right. And, um, I, so I, 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 my first thing was like, I'll just go do something good for the world. Right. And then that didn't really feel like it was working. And then, um, I was sad anyway, cause I wasn't doing, I wasn't in alignment with myself. And then a friend said to me, if you're not going to do what you love and you're not going to do something quote unquote, good for the world, just make money. You spend eight hours a day making money. At least you're making money and you're using that time to make as much money as you can. So I said, what do I do? And she said, you should just either do finance or real estate. And I said, I know nothing about either. So then she says, I know this guy who works in Brentwood. He owns commercial shopping centers. He owns like a billion dollars worth of real estate. He'll love your personality. Let me call him. I go to work for this guy and he's like, Oh, you do have such a good personality. I can definitely find something for you to do. Make calls for me, set up lunches for me, reach out to these investors for me. Let's do it. So I start doing it. I don't know anything about cap rates or interest rates or nothing. I'm just making phone calls and saying like, this is what's going on. He'd love to have lunch with you. How was your summer vacation? Where are your kids at? Like just being a human it's and people like loved sort of
0: assistant.
1: it. Yeah. And he loved how refreshing I'd have these long conversations and people would be like, let's have lunch and bring Kathy, you know? So after I do that for a year and a half and he's paying me so well, he's paying me like $120,000 for me at this age. 26 years old. Uh, and to him, that was nothing. Like it was nothing for him. So, um, I'm doing this work and like, it started to change like three months in, he would say, can you wear a suit? What you, would you mind? I'm like, okay, I'll wear a suit. And then, um, one of the other women in the office would say, "Kath, would you mind blowing out your hair? Just blow your hair out every day, blow your hair out, wear a suit. Okay, sure. So I start to become this other person And then at one point they said to me, can you get a different car? Because like when you show up for meetings, like I'm like, sure, like we'll give you extra money, buy yourself a fancy car. So, okay, fine. So buy a a fancy car, wearing different clothes. And one day I'm like on my way to work, getting up super early, doing my hair, putting mascara on. I look in the mirror with my little suit on and I just didn't recognize myself. And I just broke down and I was like, I can't go to work. I can't do this anymore. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I just don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I had a really cute, anthropology decorated apartment. And I ate a lot of spicy tuna rolls, but I didn't come here to do that. You know, I, I didn't wake up to have enough money to just live in a cute apartment and eat decent food. I just wanted to be myself, you know, like at the end of the day, what is your life worth? What is yourself feeling of purpose worth? So I, I have this horribly bold moment and I walk in and I say to him, I'm leaving. I'm quitting. And he's like, oh, you're such a good luck charm. We love having you around. You're so, all right, do what you need to do. It's fine.
0: And he wasn't, I mean, he
1: has so much money. It was like not going to make or break his business. And
0: he's like, oh, whatever, we'll find another person that we can mold into this person that needs to look this certain way. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's me, Trisha. I'm popping in because I wanted to tell you about or remind you of, I have a daily inspiration app. Yeah, you can get it. In the Apple or Google Play app stores, it's called Own Your Awesome. It is hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations. You can come to the app at any time to pull a card, sort of like a digital card deck. You can also set a reminder time in the app. So every day at that time, whatever time you choose, 8 a.m., 2 p.m., 6 p.m., you get a little notification to go check the app and get your dose of inspiration. I just opened the app and I got, I am more than I give myself credit for. Oh, I love that one. So I can hit the heart and it saves in my favorites. I can hit the share button and easily share it. I'm going to hit show me a card again. And I got, it's okay to want more for yourself, but don't place your happiness in that wanting. Create your happiness here and now. Good reminder, like, yeah, I'm sure we all want more in our life. And that's a good thing. But to not, again, be placing your joy. And once I have that, do that, then I will be happy. So claim your joy in the now. Okay, one more. In every moment, I have the choice to give love or to withhold love. That could be in relationship to yourself, in communication with someone else. In every moment, I have the choice to give love or to withhold love. So as you can see, there's a variety of things, feelings that these digital cards touch on. Hundreds of affirmations or powerful statements. Own your awesome. Get it in the app store today. Let's get back to the episode. In that time, had you been still like songwriting and doing, would you like come home and play your guitar? Like, no, I said that
1: I would. I promised myself, oh, of course I'll still do that. But I had not done it at all. So
0: It was like, it wasn't just, you got the job, you have money. Plus I do my creative thing at night. You were just like, okay, cool. I'm making a lot of money. Life is, this is what you're supposed to do. Right. I guess. Yeah. I have money. I can buy these things. Yeah, exactly. And then no, not working. Yeah. And so
1: I wound up quitting and then I realized that was a stupid move. I kind of need my job because I don't have parents to help me and I don't have a lot of savings. I have like a few, I have like a little tiny bit of money in the bank. Right. And I, and I have all these bills I have to pay. So what was I doing? So I go back and ask him for my job back and he says, no,
0: like, no. And I'm like, oh my God. And I sat on the curb outside and I was crying was it that like, in the same day or the next day? Like how much time had passed?
1: It was about a couple weeks later. And, um, and then I was crying and I was like, why did I do that? Like I could have done it on the side. I could have done it. And I was like, no, I did it because I, I had to, like, what is it going to take to kick us in the butt enough to force us to move into action? And it, for me, it was losing my job and really now knowing I couldn't go back because I I needed to make money. It was, it was, it was, it had to work. So I asked a new question and the new question was, is there any way I can do what I love and make money? And I had never asked that because the first time I had that answer, it was in order for me to do what I love, I have to be famous and a rock star, and that didn't work out. So now I have to do something I don't love to make money. And then the new question was, is there any other way? Is there any other way to make a living doing what I love? And I started to look at that answer. Like, what would the answer to that question be? And I started researching and I found out that there were so many songwriters who were making a living doing something I had never heard of, which was licensing their songs to television shows and ads for Target and Coca-Cola and movies and trailers. And I thought that seems so much more doable than trying to get this record deal, right? Why don't I try that? And so I set out and now I had a whole new list of questions. Who are the people choosing music at film studios, ad agencies? What kind of music do they need? How do I get through to them? And I started making lists every single day. I was on the computer 12 hours a day looking for these answers. And you know what happened is it worked. What wound up happening was I started writing music and behind me in my office, you can see there's like on the wall. Let me see if I can move my... So there's like an article from Billboard, Variety, Music Connection. I was on the cover of all these magazines. It was insane. We're talking like billboard, like not blog, like in print on the stand, full page, like not just like a mention that happened a few years later, but what it was, those articles, it was talking about what happened right away. What happened right away is I started asking those questions. What happened right away is I started finding answers. What happened right away is I started to reach out to people who worked in these places and I was terrified. My hand was shaking. I'm like, who the hell am I to call these people? I have no idea what to ask them. I have no idea what they need. I'm just going to have conversations. Right. And so I started to talk to people and I would be like, I'm sorry. I'm so anxious. I'm calling you. Be like, it's okay. Calm down. What do you need? I'm like, I'm a songwriter and I know you're working on the show and I'm sorry. I'm, I'm stuttering. I mean, at first, that's how I felt. And I'm like, my heart is beating so fast. Thank you for being so generous to me. I'm just a girl. I'm just a songwriter. Okay, Kath, nice to meet you. What do you need? Well. Well, I, I have music and I, I can write music. And is there anything that you need? And I realized eventually how to make those calls. And basically, I didn't have to talk, I just had to ask questions. I realized that my goal was to find out what they needed. And so instead of being nervous, I would call and say, Hey, I'm Kathy Heller, and I love what you're working on. Your ad agency makes the most beautiful spots for Coca Cola and all those beautiful happiness ideas and whatever brand I was calling about. And I would say, I want to work with you. And I'm just wondering how I could anticipate what you needed. I work on music. What kinds of stories are you telling? What kinds of themes do you need music to to reference? And people would say to me, that is so refreshing. Nobody asks us what we need. Well, here's what we need. And here's what we're... And I would say, what's not working when songwriters send you music? Oh, well, what's not working is people send us songs that have nothing to do with what we need. They send us slow songs. They send us ballads when we're working on this up-tempo ending for a movie Find out what I need. Ask me. And I realized, oh my God, I'm actually doing them a service if I stop and make the thing that they need. So I started to say, well, what do you need? And they would say, Well, right now we're working on something that we need a song about home. I'll be right back. I would go write a home song. Kath, right now on our show, we're working about uh we we have a scene with two sisters. We need a song about sisters. I'll be right back. So I would go and do it. And you know what? I started making a few hundred thousand dollars doing that a year. And I had like only a handful of people in the world who were my clients, but it was enough because they were spending 55000 84000 giving me money for music that I then got ownership of. I was just licensing it to them. I was just giving them the right to use it. Can you imagine for 50 grand, giving someone the right to use your song?
0: No, I know. I'm like, I have a lot of uh, songwriter friends and that, yeah, I know what one of my friends has a couple of my friends, actually, that that's how they've been able to still stay Yeah. A musician. And that's it. And that's their only job is from that. And it's yeah, it's it. It's um, yeah.
1: Well, I was just gonna say, I'll tell you what happened next, which is right on that point
0: is that well, oh, well, first, though, are you like sending them fully produced songs to are you just writing the song and then they're paying to get it produced?
1: No, fully produced songs, which you realize if you're resourceful, you know, how many people have on their laptop There's so many people who graduated from Belmont full sail Berkeley who can work their way around pro tools. And if you show up and say, and, and I, what I was about to tell you is the big mic drop is that I started to teach this to artists because, and I was about to break down what you do. And the reason I was about to break it down so quickly is because I've been teaching this now for about five years. What happened was I was doing this music thing and it started to work and I was just, Slowly behind the scenes, no one knew me. I wasn't famous. I was just making relationships with the head of Disney Soundtrack, the head of music at Ogilvy, DDB, uh, you know, McGarry Bowen, these are ad agencies, Paramount, Paramount, Lionsgate, NBC Promo. Like I was just making relationships behind the scenes, no one knew, finding my way to make relationships that were valuable, asking them what they needed, and creating the music for them. And I would start to create a world around me of the producers I would work with and the people who would be like, I'm all in. You have an ask from so and so. I'll work with you on that for free. Don't even pay me anything up front. Give me a piece of the back end. Great. Let's do it. Right. That's what I was going to ask. Like, are you in value? You have
0: to pay people to then produce the music. Right.
1: Well, you, it's amazing what happens when you have a value add proposition for someone else. And if you're like everyone else, who's like, let's just write a song and see what happens. And yeah, I sleep till 11 every day. And no, I don't really have any plan for my music. And no, I don't treat it like a business. I treat it like a hobby. Well, then you better pay me to come to the studio. But if you're treating this like a business and you are such a hustler and you are so determined, and what I'm going to get out of this is knowing that you will absolutely pitch this music or you have a place already waiting to hear it. That's very unique for a producer. That's very unique for indie folks in the music scene that, that that's not really what's happening. So that level of enthusiasm, that level of intentionality is very, it's very hard to come by in any industry. And I was like, I'm not the most talented person, but I have this intention. I have this hustle, this drive, I'm committed. And that people would like sit up in their yeah. chair. So, um, it started to work. And what wound up happening is after doing song after song, after song, my songs were all over Kellogg's target, Walmart, um, shows, The Office, Parks and Rec, uh, Criminal Minds, Switched at Birth, Pretty Little Liars. I was writing music like everywhere, promos for NBC comedies, promos for Scrubs, all this fun stuff, One Tree Hill. Like it was just so great. And um, I was just behind the scenes. No one knew me except for my close friends and my clients. And then I started to get featured in Billboard variety. People were like, this is so cool. What a great story. Let's help indie artists to like understand it. In fact, the Billboard article I was in, the cover of that magazine that month was Macklemore. And it said, Triumph of the Indie Hustle, because Macklemore was doing all this stuff without his big, without a big label. Like, right. He came out of Seattle and he was just like doing his thing and it was working. So the whole, that whole um issue was dedicated to different kinds of hustle for indie artists and what you could kind of do on your own. So I was making my like niche in like a DIY kind of thing for licensing music. And artists started to knock on my doors and send me emails. Can you teach me how to do it? Can you show me what to do? And I was like, completely honest. And I was like, no, I don't know how to teach this. I don't really know what my process is. I just do what I do.
0: So it wasn't like you were being like, no, this is my thing. It's not for you. You were just like, I don't even know what I'm doing. It's just working. And no one do doing. It. <laughs> like I felt like I knew what I
1: do, but like I'm not a teacher. Right. And also thinking about being a teacher made me feel like I would be less of an artist. I was like, oh, I'm gonna become one of those weirdos who teaches things. I wanna be a doer, not a teacher, right? So I had a stigma around it. And then it kept happening until finally my husband's best friend, we were sitting at dinner and he goes, you're missing a huge opportunity. Do you know how many artists have not one clue of what you do and they would pay you to know it and you would literally change their lives And you already have the opportunities coming in every day. You get at least 15 requests from different people. Sometimes you don't have the music. What if you pass that along and then you can give other people those opportunities. And now you're a bigger resource to those folks. And I was like, maybe I should listen to this. So I very, you know, clumsily raised my hand. I was like, I'll start a little workshop. And I did it in my living room for 10 artists. People loved it. They were like, when's the next one? I want more. I was like, okay, we'll do another one. You know, we did one workshop on film. We did one film workshop, then an ad one. How do you break down what ad people want? How do you break down who the film people are? How do you get through to them? How do you write what they need? People were like, this is gold. And what wound up happening is it grew. I wound up renting a theater and it had 50 seats. And that was a new question. I didn't have the answer. I was like, how can I make this bigger? Well, my house can't fit any more people but maybe I could rent something. Where would I rent? That sounds like going to be thousands of dollars. And then I realized that during the day, these theaters were dark. So I called these little theaters in LA. They're like, nobody wants it Tuesday morning. Do you want it Tuesday morning? And I was like, yeah, because it's not a play. It's not right. It's, it's a workshop. You just need a space. Yeah. And a lot of songwriters had like sort of freelance jobs. So they were able to come. And I wound up being asked by a songwriter who didn't live in LA if I would start it online over like Zoom calls. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know about funnels. I don't know about Instagram. I don't have a list. I don't have a podcast. I don't know what the online world means. But I decided I would try it. And I decided to host my very first webinar without slides because I don't know anything about anything. And um, 1,042 people showed up for the webinar. Oh, my God. And all I had in order to get that webinar going was I was pregnant. I knew I was having a baby in three months. I was hot. It was the summer. I wanted to do this before she was born. I only knew one little thing, which I could go straight to camera on like a Google Hangout. I didn't know. I never used it before even. So I was like, I hope this works and doesn't break. And I told people on the internet with a dumb video of me with my pregnant belly. Hi, I'm Kathy Heller. I'm going to teach you stuff about songwriting and put it out in the world for songwriters to hopefully find and share. And I let that go for like six weeks. Where did you put it? Like I went into the Facebook ad manager, knowing nothing about Facebook ads and said, send this to songwriters, like how broad of an audience, like not like what age, not what, what workshops they'd take it. I didn't know what I was doing, but wow. I wound up doing this. And at the end I presented them with an offer, which was really bold. Cause I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but I had tested it in that workshop and people did like yeah. it. So I said, it would be nine ninety seven. It would be a thousand dollars. Do you want to sign up? And I will walk you through this for a year. I'll listen to your music. I'll give you feedback. We can walk through all the ins and outs of this. And, um, people bought it 147 people actually, which meant,
0: and is that before you've even, you have no idea what you're even act like, what you're gonna offer them? Like you're like, okay, I'm gonna create a program, but you didn't like create the program ahead of time. I and did, a
1: did. I did create it. Yeah. What I did was I took one of the girls who had come to my live workshop, and I said, "Would you come to my house?" Which I look back, it was so brilliant. I didn't know. Now I teach people to do this. I said, "Come to my house, Chelsea, and for every day for a week, ask me every question. Tell me what's missing. Tell me what you need." And she was like the guinea pig because she was like, "Oh my god, I get I get five days of free coaching with you plus." I bought her an Apple, I bought her a laptop because her laptop was dying. And I was like, that's so helpful that she did it. So she, got, she wound up getting a $3,000 gift. Plus she was there every day, right? Or maybe it wasn't three grand, maybe it was like 2,200, but it was so worth it for me. And, um, and she basically, after every, she would take notes and then say, here's what you just taught me. And here's the most important part. So I was like, that's my class. So I had that. Wow. But other than that.
0: So you're starting with like, I don't even know what I'm going to, what will I say? What would I do in a like online class? What do people, what would I teach them? You don't know. So then you have her asking all these questions. They're like, oh, this is what people want to know. So this is what I will teach. Like, is that your like sort of reasoning? Yeah. And so I was able to look at my notes with her and I was like, all
1: right, well, So this, I'll break that into like, basically each one of those things would be a different topic for a different month. And then we'll break that down and we'll, we'll spend the time giving feedback. And and really with courses, it's not about a to-do list. It's not more information that people need. It's the implementation. People need a to done list. So it's like, make it simple enough that you can actually work them through it and they will check it off their list. So it was plenty of information. They didn't need, they didn't need 15 more pieces of information they needed the the core pieces of information and they needed to make sure that I would be there and help them do the thing. So that's what we set out to do. That wound up I made 147,000 on my first webinar offer and then the next time I offered it I made like 440 grand. Now mind you I was making about 300 grand as a songwriter. So right away in the first year launching this thing twice I made more than I did doing the thing I made, teaching the thing. Then the class got better. I realized what people wanted more, which was access to the decision makers. So I started to bring them in to do Zoom calls and tell them directly, here's what I need, send it to me which was worth so much more. So the class wound up being better. I wound up hiring other producers to come in and teach with me the things that I couldn't teach, the things that were different than what my skills were. It was just so good. And people started to get results. And then it sold itself. Students started to get their songs in Starbucks ad making 55,000. This one got a song Grey's Anatomy. This one got a song on Younger. This one got a song in a Hyundai spot. It was just non-stop Nordstrom. I was like, oh my God. And then I didn't have to do anything all I had to do was say, you talk, you go tell your friends. Well, that class wound up making about a million, 1.2 million. Every time we'd launch it, we started launching it twice a year. And, um, I wound up starting a podcast because, one of my students said, Kathy, 85% of what you teach is not about music. It is about how to create a business. It is getting resourceful. Um, It is getting intentional, figuring out who needs your stuff, figuring out how to connect with that person and ask them what they need, validating your offer, showing up consistently, making the emotional bank account deposits that you have relationships with the right people and doing it in a genuine, not salesy way. And that's what I kind of do. So I started a podcast called don't keep your day job, not knowing what the heck would happen? I was just like, I think all people need to see a possibility of it's not Beyonce or bust. Cause that's what I had thought it was. And mm-hmm. there's so many people who want to do hand lettering or pottery or sourdough bread making. And they're like, well, unless I'm the most famous one in the world, I have no way to make a living around this. And I'm like, you don't even know the half of it. So I started a podcast three years ago, and now we're quickly approaching like 15 million downloads. And It's awesome. awesome. And I've gotten to meet amazing people like Brian Grazer, who produced A Beautiful Mind and Apollo 13 and Arrested Development and Howard Schultz, who created Starbucks and Bobby Brown, who's been making makeup that I use for years and Mandy Moore and Jenna Fisher from The Office and all these people who had a dream job. It wasn't a realistic, practical thing. It was, what do I really want to do and how do I do it? And to, to just be in that and swimming in that has been amazing. And now I don't just teach the music thing. I do have a team of people that helps me still run that program. And it's it's stronger than ever. I was like,
0: okay, good. I was like, because I definitely want to send that program to yeah, lots of my it's friends.
1: Awesome. That are oh, it's like fire. It's, <laughs> I was
0: going to ask you, I was like, is that still running? I know people that want
1: that program. <laughs> thanks. Uh, but now I also teach other programs. You know, Now I teach people How do you create your own program? Whatever your mastery is, how do you do it in a way that feels really filled with empathy? How do you build any business, right? Whether you want to build a product-based business, how do you get people to pull off the freeway of social media and actually see you? How do you create intimacy with people? How do you launch things and do a seven-figure launch in a way that feels filled with integrity? So I teach a lot of that stuff now. And it's really fun because it's, I get to meet all kinds of makers and, and, and humans that are not just writing music, but doing all kinds of things.
0: I love it. And I love hearing your full story. So yeah. And in this, so now like when you're teaching, uh, these people, but also like when you start the podcast and you start reaching out to people or back when you're like, okay, songwriting now, I'm guessing that back then when you started to really reach out to these people, you're not making any money. You're committed to doing this. So you're like, what's keeping you picking up the phone or sending the emails that is really scary is like, this is my one shot sort of right now. Because yeah, it's nerve wracking. It's nerve wracking to send. Yeah. I'm like, DM you. Hi, Kathy. I'd love to have you on my podcast. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And I was totally intimidated by you for the longest time. <gasps> my, <me?
1: laughs> no Why joke you intimidated? because you're so exquisite. Your oh. message, your branding, branding is consistently communicating with your audience. That's all branding is. You do that so well that I, from the beginning years ago, I was like, Oh my God, she's amazing. Her stuff is amazing. I'm serious. And people, I admire, admire you. So I was like, she felt weird to DM me. Oh, it's totally reversed. Totally reversed.
0: And I only did because you shared one of my posts. And I was like, oh, maybe I can message her to be on my podcast. So she shared a post of mine. (laughs) I can repost you every day. That's how
1: much I want to repost you. And I'm like, that would look dumb. But like every day I'm like, I could post this thing or what she's saying. All right. Well, I post, it. I'll just, I'll just not look like an idiot. I'll just, but yeah, that's how often I want to post your you. words.
0: Brief interruption. I'm so proud to be partnered with the amazing better help. You guys, we all need support. No matter what your life looks like, it is amazing and it is so necessary to have a safe space to go to work through what you're feeling and to get true support. You can go to trybetterhelp.com forward slash claim it, and they'll have you fill out a short questionnaire. And you can do this for individual counseling, couples counseling. You can even send your teenage children or children there to get support in counseling. Right. So you fill out a questionnaire and then they match you with licensed therapists that you they feel will be the best fit for you and what you're currently dealing with. They cover anything, whether it's working on career goals, loss, abuse, trauma, all of the things. So they have over 8000 licensed therapists in their community and they have specialties in so many different things. You guys, we all need support and especially right now. I've been using the platform because of course I would never tell you to try anything unless I've tried it myself and it really is amazing again right now especially since we are supposed to be staying at home for the best of everyone that you that's also probably creating more stress and bringing things to the surface you haven't dealt with so you can go there and you can have a private online space to message back and forth with your therapist have video calls have phone calls and you can talk to them between sessions in this private messaging forum which i really love because you know you'll talk about stuff in the call and then you're and then things will come up between call to call and you can have the space to go to to think about and Make notes of what you want to talk to in the next week's call or to address things that came up after the call. So, I really think that's amazing. It's more affordable than traditional therapy, also. And if you use my link, you get 10% off your first month. The thing is, you will never know if it will support you if you don't try. It can be hard to open up, to ask for help, to get support, but you're worth that. And I promise you it's going to feel so good to have this major support for you. Okay. So go to com forward slash claim it. And yeah, I've been using it myself. I think it's amazing that we have access to this. Let's get back to the episode. I'm someone that I think like you is an asker that makes those, you know, you got to move into the doubts and the fears and do the things like what is something that like made you start doing that? Because also you're saying, oh, I'm talking to the president of this and that. I'm guessing you have to do some things before you got into talking to the president of Disney. So are you like reaching out to any assistant like to do anything? And are you just again, like what is making you be able to push through, okay, I can ask this question. I'm going to reach out. And even maybe still today with reaching out to certain guests, like what keeps you back then and now like moving through that doubt and fear to be like, okay, I'm going to do this. Ask. It's okay. If they say no. Yeah. I, I, here's what it is. Okay. I really
1: get it. And when you really get it, you realize that all people want, it doesn't matter if they're president of Disney or like I said, Jenna Fisher, who's like the couldn't be nicer girl from St. Louis on the office. It doesn't matter who the person is. If it's Howard Schultz, right? The thing everyone wants, and this is not lip service. This is the truth. People want to be seen. Everybody has the ability to give that to someone else. That's it. So if you can do that, if you're not reaching your hands in someone's pocket, if there's no agenda, if there's, I'm going to be a bright spot in their day right now. I genuinely do care and I'm more interested in the relationship and I'm more interested in how can I shine a light on this person in this moment and give them a sense of like importance. People will be all in. In fact, I mentioned Brian Grazer before. He's one of the most successful people in Hollywood history. And he said it's all, it all started for him when he was a temp at Warner brothers not knowing what he was going to do with his life. And he was asked to deliver a package to Warren Beatty, who at the time was like the biggest actor. This is like 35 years ago. And Warren was living at the top of the Beverly Wilshire hotel. And he walked in and he had the chutzpah to say to the guy, oh, it's legal papers. And they told me I have to deliver it myself. And so the guy's like, right, I'm sure that's true, but whatever. You can go up there. We'll let you go up there for four minutes." knocks on the door. Butler comes to answer. He says, can I deliver this to Warren? It has to go in his hands. I got to see it happen. I mean, a lot of like bravery on this guy's part. Warren comes to the door, takes the package and he says, Mr. Beatty, I don't need anything from you. I don't need a job. I don't need anything. I just think you're like the most spectacular actor of all time. And it would mean so much to me if for like two minutes, you gave me your, you know, like your opinion on like why you think you've been successful. And here's this 24 year old tall drink of water, skinny kid standing at the door. And he's like, you know what, why don't you come in and sit down? And he came in and sat down and Warren talks to him for over an hour. And he was engrossed. He was fully engrossed. He didn't, he didn't need anything for that conversation. He didn't have an ask at the end of it. There was no agenda. He didn't have an ask. He just was so present. And he realized that's my job. If I can literally show up and have conversations with people I'm going to figure out what I'm meant to do. I'm going to figure out all the opportunities. And he wrote a book about this, which is why he was on my show. And it's just genius. And that's literally, I didn't, no Brian Grazer at the time. And I didn't hear that story. I think I just got the same memo somehow. And I knew that that's what people needed maybe because I had gone through my own crap. And I kind of knew that people felt invisible all the time. At least that's how I felt. I projected that onto them, but maybe that was a good thing. Like, Oh, they probably feel invisible. So I didn't dare send the kinds of emails that business people send. I didn't send an email that was 14 paragraphs long. That was like, I'm Kathy. Sit down for a second. Let me tell you everything about me. Let me tell you all the reasons I'm awesome. Let me tell you all the da, da, da. No, I would send these like letters. Like you would write to like a best friend that were really casual, really easy to answer, filled with humility, filled with gratitude. And there would be like one quick question in the email that would be like an e- something I'd really want to know the answer to. That wasn't a heavy, open-ended question, just something simple. And people would respond. And then I got smarter and I was like, what if I did something else? And I didn't just, you know, send emails, but I offered them something to make the relationship. And I remember sending them this thing and it said mochas and music. And it was a picture of this girl with a, a guitar and a plus sign and a picture of Frappuccino. And I said, step one, what's your favorite Starbucks drink? Step two, I'll drop it off at your office. Step three, I'll leave you with some coffee and some music and that's it. And a bunch of people didn't respond. And some people said, no, thanks. And about 27 people said, sure, you could bring me a Starbucks. That's so cute. This is what I like. And would you mind getting one for my assistant? And I was like, sure. And I would walk in, leave the coffee and like, you know, a a, a drive like a, a, a drive to my music or a CD, depending on what I had. And I would start to walk out the door and then people would often say, that was really nice. What's your name? Or tell me more about you. And I would not take the bait. I would say, tell me more about you. You know, I want to know more about you. Like, I want to know what you know. I want to know what you love. I want to know what, what what you get from sitting here for so long, choosing the music for this show, working on Grey's Anatomy. What do you love about music? What makes music work for you? Why did you want this job? And I would ask wow. those questions because I was genuinely interested and people could not stop talking. And the way to be the most interesting person is to make them feel interesting. And to me, they were, it was genuine. I wouldn't feel that way talking to every person in the world, maybe, but I really cared what their opinions were, what their thoughts were, what, lit them up. I was so curious. They were real music fans and they had a real intention of of, of choosing indie music and they knew why they liked it and why they didn't. So I was glued. And that conversation is what made the entire business happen. And I just did it over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, that's so smart, but also so meaningful and special. And I think something That, like I said, a lot of times, even if you might be coming from that place before you do the ask, the doubts and fears can come up. So if like you can come back into like, oh, how can I, you know, make this be what would you phrase that as is like, how could when somebody's about to do an ask and they're freezing up? Then like, how can I shine the light on them? How can I show up for them? How can I make this person feel seen? Sort of that and sort of like it's not about me. It's about them.
1: Well, everything is empathy. And you you do that really well. But we live in such an empathy deficit. People don't feel seen. And so the biggest thing is you have to have empathy for yourself. And when you do that and you don't need to have the right words and you're not putting pressure on yourself to look the best and say the best, and you're just giving yourself empathy, like I'm just a girl standing in front of a giving yourself a chance. I'm just a person standing in front of another person. And I'm not gonna be perfect. I'm just gonna open my mouth and say hello. You know, I saw Chelsea Clinton a year ago at Baja Fresh, which is like a fast food Mexican place outside of the Atlanta Coke Museum. Money, yeah. so funny place. Yeah. She was outside of the Atlanta Coke Museum. Uh, and we both, I guess we're hungry at the moment and we walk in and there she is. And I, I wanted to walk over to her and I live in LA where I see people who are famous all the time and I don't usually say hello to them. But I just felt like this is just weird. We're, we're in Baja Fresh with her in Atlanta. And there's just us and her. Like, how could I not go say hello? She knows I obviously know who she is. And I was nervous. So I used it. It was the truth. So I walked over. I had my two-year-old with me. She was like my wingman. And I walked over and I was like, hi, my heart is racing. I'm super anxious right now. I just felt really weird not saying hello to you because it's you. And I felt like I should say hi. And she stood up, she was eating and she was pregnant. And she goes, why should you feel anxious? Don't feel anxious. You're just a mom. I'm just a mom. I said, yeah, I guess that's true, <laughs> but not really. You know, and then she said, what do you do? And I said, I host a podcast. And she said, have me on it. And I said, okay. And she said, what's your podcast about? I started telling her, would you believe six months later, I get an email from my publisher Macmillan saying, go get New York Magazine. I'm like, okay. Then I get an email from my cousin, pick up New York Magazine. I'm like, what's going on in New York Magazine? I read New York Magazine. There's this whole article about Chelsea Clinton where she's talking about what she's been doing for the last year. And she talks about all these things. She wrote a book about endangered species. She thought she'd be helping her mom in the White House, but instead she's doing this. And then she says, in this month, this was what happened in it. She goes, and then in April, I walked into a Baja Fresh and I met Kathy Heller. And her podcast is so amazing. And she's incredible. And she walked over to me and she was so anxious. And I looked at her and didn't know yet who she was. And I thought, isn't that amazing that she could be that real with me? And I'm reading New York Magazine. And I'm like, honey, I'm like saying to my husband, get over here. And he's like, what? I go, read this. Read this. Do you think that there was one cell in my body that thought she would talk about that six months later, no less to a reporter in New York Magazine. i her go say hi to her because she might, you know, talk about me. Zero. Like- Zero. I was talking about it. I was like, the best part of this is the story I get to tell. We went to Atlanta. I met a- no, the story got better. Now, why did that happen? She appreciated that I said, hi. I'm really anxious. I'm going to walk over and say hello to you. It's human, just being vulnerable. Then we had a conversation. Then she actually went on to check out what I do. And she did follow up and say, please help me on the podcast. And we've been trying to find a time. She's very busy. Um, but we were, we, she really wants to do it, which is great. Amazing. But the point is people are just humans yeah. and it starts with having empathy for yourself. And then it's plenty. You don't need people. What do people need when they're struggling? They just need you to witness. What do people need when they're excited? They want you to be in tune and be excited with them. They just need empathy. And we forget that. And it's such a lost art. So everyone who's listening has that in spades. You can all do that for other people. And when you know that that's all the people need that's your golden key. What else do you need? The right funnel? Please. That doesn't work.
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm never going to do a funnel. I never did a funnel. Never going to do a funnel. Not my For people speed. that don't do online businesses, exactly. like, what's a funnel? It's something that people will tell you you should do to be the most successful, whatever it is. <laughs> um, Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And that's a lot of, you know, a lot of my message in the work that I do was based on that sort of like that I got to work for these people that have as all I was a sound engineer for musicians like I'm living my biggest dream. The person on the stage is legit running, living their biggest dream. They wrote the songs. They got the record deal. They're singing them. They're selling out arenas around the world. And they still are not happy, are not feeling lovable enough, seen you know, of that. And so that, yeah, like that. So that's why a lot of my messaging is like, it's not, that's why my podcast is called claim it, that your feelings of joy and uh, talking like, yeah, we're on my podcast right now. Claim it. I forgot. <laughs> I was still in the moment. I'm like, yes, yeah, so this is the claim it. podcast. <laughs> Where that's the point is that's that that's amazing that you've seen that on that level.
1: That's fascinating.
0: Well, and I think that, you know, and also my own personal struggles have also gave me that what I think too, like you're going through your struggles, especially with your mom, it's such an, like that we've seen a different, we've had the pain and then like, have been able to give ourselves compassion and see what's going on. And then when you see other people are struggling like this too, that yeah, it is so much, you're calling it empathy. I've, I've always called it compassion. A little bit similar. Very similar. I think I'm not even sure. Like I'm now going to have to look up the definitions. I'm not even sure how those are different. <laughs> I think that that would be like, similar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, yeah, but that like, yeah, that we're so often putting like, oh, once I do this, have this, then I'll be successful enough worthy. Right. And that everybody's chasing it. But if you're not claiming it for yourself, that you're never going to feel it. And that's the thing that we're all humans that yeah, these people that yeah, like it can be nerve wracking, because you see how amazing they are and how successful and what they've done. And that but they're still humans at the end of the day, and they still have doubts and fears. And they want to be seen and they want to be loved. And they struggle with all of these same things that we do. And that's like, yeah, like that human connection is what I think. Yeah, I think that's that's obviously where a lot of my words and stuff come from is just sort of like we're all in this and that why I'm able to be like vulnerable about what I'm going through is because like, I'm not the only one and I've never felt like, oh, I'm I, no, I did. When I first chose the title of your diologist, I did struggle with am I allowed to say this? because I'm the joyologist. And I'm like, no, Trisha, you are who you are. And that's the point. It's like sharing all of
1: this. And your words are so, your words are medicine. You keep making, I'm like, I
0: keep like starting to cry. Thank you so much. And your words are, your, your words are like a
1: magic elixir from a fairy, like from on top of the holiest mountain. Really?
0: Thank you. you guys didn't see I'm making some really great facial expressions while she's saying these things
1: because it's moving. And it's so <laughs> true, and everybody knows it. For God's sakes, it's it's so the truth. So that's just what it is, and we'll just let it be what it okay, is. So
0: speaking of my words, now is the time in the podcast where I'm going to pull up an image of uh, my keychain phrases. Mm. They all look like this, and then um, I ask everybody to choose not necessarily which phrase they like the most, but which phrase they feel they need as a reminder. The most right now. are so and
1: all good. Boy, are they good? I mean, they're all so good. It's hard to choose one, but I would say um, the last one, which is this, the one that's on that keychain. The only judge of me is me. I just read something that said there will always be people who don't see your worth, but don't let yourself be one of them, right? Um, or don't let that person be you. And I think it's the same kind of message. Like, let's not do that, right? um, we have to have courage. We have to have courage. And it's enough. You ever get to the point where you just feel like screaming into a pillow? Like, ah, oh, like it's enough of my own shit. Like, I'm so sick of judging myself. I'm so sick of it. What is that doing? What is the payoff? It's coming in to protect you from something, right? Protect you from, well, for me, it's like, I'm such a long, you know, recovering, like pleaser that like, oh, if I actually like claimed it. You know, people might leave because that was the whole deal. You know, people might walk out. It's like, so what? I'm so sick of protecting myself from that. It's not, it's not here anymore. That saber-tooth tiger has left the building. So let them leave. The most liberating thing about judgment that I've ever heard is from my friend, Emily McDowell. You got, you and Emily are probably friends,
0: right? We, we are somewhat friends. Yeah.
1: Well, I'll connect you more if you want that, but yeah, she's awesome. And she said, you know what, Kath, there's already people that don't like us.
0: I go, you're right
1: that's awesome. She goes, it's done, done and done. There are people who'd be like, Oh my God, Emily's work. Oh my, Oh my God. Kathy Heller. She's so this, she's so this, let it go. It's like, there's already people who don't like you. So now you don't have to worry that people won't like you. People don't like you and you've survived and you will survive. And there's going to be people who judge you and they're not for you. Thank God. There's a democracy of what we choose to feed on and listen to and consume. Great. You'll find the people who are for you. And that's all. And that's always happened. So we got to let go of the judgment of ourselves. It's just, it's exhausting.
0: Yeah, it is. My, my like key, ex- key for saying the judgment is that a judgment can only have power over you if it's something you believe to be true about yourself. But that's so. it. Yes. So if it's whether it's someone else that's telling you you're this and blah, blah, blah. And I don't like you. Or if it's you being like, oh, I'm afraid to say this or do this because what will they think? And you're judging yourself. Either one, you get to check in. Is this something I believe about myself? And if it is, then you get to fucking work on that. Yeah. And see well, why? And, that. and if not, then you can be like, OK, so I don't believe this about myself and let it sort of coast off your shoulders. Yep. We
1: look for the evidence of what we believe is true, which is why you can have 3,000 five star reviews on your podcast and then 84 people say that you're an idiot and you focus on those 84 because you go, that's it, thank you. I thought I was a fraud. That's what I believed and I'm looking for the evidence that, that that's that's true and you're telling me that that's true. And then you look at that and go, why is that what I believe? Let's work on that belief. Right? Yeah. We look for the evidence of what we believe is true and that's right. That's why it hurts so much cuz you believe that. It's nothing to do with them.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's not that you're like, oh no, the world is ending because that's what they think. It's that because you're in your head being like, is this true? Exactly. This is what you're believing about yourself, yep. that you're the doing the judging. You're you know, the only judge of you it's is you. Is you. So how are you judging yourself? What are you judging yourself for? <laughs> um okay, what is a go-to that you do to raise your joy levels? Couple things.
1: One, forest bathing, like being in nature. Oh my God, right? completely. Even if it's like, put your phone down and walk around the block, fully present. God, does that make me feel happy? Immediately. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Another mm-hmm. thing is complete immersion. Like we do so much multitasking where we're not really ever mm-hmm. present, which is very exhausting on the nervous system. And it doesn't make you happy. But when you're a kid, you get all into the finger paint, all into the blocks. All So I try to like it's hard because I'll, I'll want to yeah. like bring my phone with me to hang out with my kids and sit on the floor and do a puzzle. And then I'll go, no, I'm going to do the puzzle. This is for me, you know, and it'd be obviously better for them if I'm present, but yeah, being fully immersed in a moment is great. Another thing is doing things just like this, like, right? right. when I had James clear on my podcast, we talked about his New York times, bestseller atomic habits. Like what are the habits that actually make you successful that help you crush your goals? And I said, is there one that you would say is like the ultimate And he said, It's who you spend time with. And I think that that's fascinating. Who you spend time with is everything. And so, spending time with people who have a high vibe, spending time with people who inspire me, that makes me so happy and gets me out of any funk or any mood, also.
0: This is true. And that's why during this uncertain time, that like podcast, I don't, I have a two year old and a four year old. So, like, they're not like, even though the dad's home, they're not so great with like, mom can work eight hours in the garage. No. So it's like, I only get a limited amount of time to work every day, but I'm prioritizing doing these podcasts because this connection and this time brings me so much joy and fulfillment and I can be fully present to it. It's the one one thing. If I'm like, I'm trying to write, then it's like that. But I'm like, I'm here and it fills me up so much.
1: Hundred thousand uh, okay. percent.
0: I ask everybody to apply this phrase to their own life. This is something I Instagrammed a long time ago. <laughs> what is easiest for you is not always what is best for you, which is like, duh. But <laughs> can you think of a way to apply that to your own life? What is easiest is for me to do blank. What is best for me is to, to be like something that's natural, like a habit for you. Um, you know, something. I mean, right now. What's showing up now?
1: there's two pieces. What's easiest for me is to run. What's best for me is to stay. Um, everybody has a response to, to pain. It's either flight, fright, freeze, right? Or or sorry, flight, fight, or freeze. Right. So I typically want to run. Um, if I'm feeling low in my life, I want to get out. Something's not working in my marriage. I'm like, great. head for the hills. If I Something that working where we were at, it's like, I'm out. And, and what's fascinating is right now there's nowhere to go. Mm. And so I'm like, you know, and thank God, actually, the coronavirus has been like the best thing. I feel like more peaceful in my marriage, which is great. He's been like such an incredible team player and support. But as far as where we live, I'm like, we got to live in a better place. We got to live in a place that has less of this. It's like, where are you going? Where are you going? Where on the map is it not going to find you? And then you have other issues and you don't have resources there. You don't have a house there. So sitting brings up all your stuff. And so it might be easiest to just like, ooh, change, didn't it? But like right now I have to stop and be here and, and see what's there for me in that. Um, and then also I think it's easy for me to stay in a The other piece was like in my business, it's easiest for me not to um, know my worth. It's easier to me to just give, give, give and not receive back energy. So when I create programs, I'll try, I'll price them too low. I'll give too much. I'll say, I'll be on zoom calls once a week for an hour. I'll show up for three hours instead of charging what it's worth. I'll charge a third of it. That's got to stop because it's really, um, it's at a point where it's not best for me and it's not best for them either. So I'm going to be changing that, which is scary and it's time. It's okay.
0: Yeah. I get that. And I'm proud of you for leaning into those choices. (laughs) Um, All right. The last question is, the name of the podcast is Claim It. I already talked a little bit about why. What are you claiming for yourself right now?
1: I think I'm claiming the courage to be as big as I feel like I am capable of being, instead of shrinking, instead of apologizing. I think of my friend Susie Moore said it so well the other day. She said, you either have the courage to sell or you will work for someone else who has the courage to sell. And I think right now, especially people are like, who am I to sell? That would be insensitive. I think women in general have a hard time charging what they're worth, which has a lot to do with the glass ceiling and all that. If you are selling, for me, that means you're serving. If you don't have the courage to stand up and do that self-promotion to serve, to give value, then you will work for someone else who does. There's no other way. And then you look at that and you go, why on earth would I let someone else do it and be okay if they're getting enough money to then pay me, but I won't do that for myself. That's got to stop. So the courage to do it as big as possible. What the economy needs right now is not people who are sitting back and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm insensitive for selling. It's like, sell it make money, then go spend money, then hire more people. That's what people need. And that takes courage. So that's something I'm definitely claiming is the courage to be as big as I can possibly be without apologizing or shrinking or, or any of that. And knowing that that's, that's the gift that I can give to people.
0: Yes. I love that. And I hope everybody out there tries that on for themselves and that that seeing that like by you doing that, that it's only giving back to everyone that gets to receive that from you. Cause also when you are really stepping into that, then the people that are receiving that message can tell that like you're really fully there. There's no doubt and fear and confusion. And so then for me, like that one of my, you know, phrases in the deck, in my app are called own your awesome. It's like, yeah, like own who you are. And that doesn't mean that you're telling somebody else they can't be awesome or I'm more awesome. It's like, no, by owning our awesomeness, then we're showing everybody, Hey, you can be awesome too. Yeah, You give people permission. Own yours. Own your awesome and I'll own mine. And we're just lifting each other up in that way. Totally. So being bigger, isn't like you're making other people smaller. I'm not, I'm like, I'm not really talking to you, but I'm talking to listeners, but in case you need to hear that too.
1: It's so true. You see people who have that and they go out there and you're right it's all energetic right it's like when someone just owns it and they're they they feel it in their guts it comes off so beautiful and we look at them and we go thank you for doing that cuz now you're a guide for me you give me permission to step into my fullest self and i look at it like it's not permission it's an obligation like i'm so sorry you weren't created to sit it out we need you i'm so sorry like it's is it everyone else's job to help in their communities and and offer their hand lettering or their, or their chocolate or their uh, yoga classes, but you don't have to have the courage to stumble through. You, you get to sit back and just watch it go by you and then ask somebody to help you. It's like, that's much harder than just being like, I'm obligated to, to put myself in the hot seat and, and have the courage to, to share my gifts. I think that that's the case.
0: Yeah. And I think just your whole story is a great reminder of that. Even being like, I'm going to be a songwriter. I don't know how to do that. Showing up and doing crappy songwriting sessions to then end up being like you're making so much money writing songs for these big shows and you teach other people to like that. Yeah. Like if you hadn't have said, let me see if I can write a song and try sucking at it, you wouldn't be here. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's correct. That's exactly correct. I say that all the time. I'm like, oh my God, everything I have right now is from the courage in the beginning of shaking and doing these things that turned out, I'm like sitting at my dining room table 10 years, 12 years ago, like not knowing what I'm doing and like making these calls, which was like so scary and like everything was built on that. So how powerful to think back on that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. It's really sweet.
0: You're welcome. Anything final you want to say before we sign off? I just want
1: to say that we've all been through so much already. Like Everyone who's listening by the age of eight, raise your hand if you had gone through some heartache. And so you forget how resilient you are. And we're living in a time where we have to call upon that strength. And you've already been through so much. And maybe part of what's going on right now is we're not running anymore. We're, we are sitting still. And so all that grief that we've already been through on top of what we're going through now is catching up with us. So getting a page of empathy and compassion from what we were talking about today and be there for yourself. And then maybe ask the question, like, what would I do? What would be one little step I would take if I was doing something that made me happy. And at the same time, something that someone else needed, And that's a really powerful question because I guarantee if you start to look at the answers to what comes and you just start to follow the whispers like a scavenger hunt, you'll be led to a way in which you can do more of what you love and find an intersection between what you love and what other people might want from you. And it might not just be a hobby. It might. It might be a hobby. It might turn into a business, but it will make you feel more in alignment and it will bring up all your stuff, which gives you tons of awesome things to work on so you can break through your upper limit and, and feel more free.
0: Yeah. I love that. And it, I love that the way that you phrase that in that question is like something small is that I think that so many things can stop people. Cause it seems like I have to make these big life changes or, okay, I have to create a business now. Or you could be just like, Oh, what could I do in this moment? Maybe I'll write a note to my neighbor. Uh, and leave it on their front door. I'll knit something small, like something very, sm- very small, like yeah. think small people like think very small. <laughs> I know. And I'm already thinking because
1: I've been doing this for so long. That note to your neighbor might lead to them having a response, which might lead you to say that felt good. I don't know anything. I just know it felt good. I'm going to start a movement where every day someone leaves a note for their neighbor. The, the thing with the knitting could lead to I just like doing it. I don't know how to teach it, but I want other people to get to knit because we always put it off. I'm going to start a membership for people to just complete the sweater, just complete the rug, complete the thing that could, like, I'm just saying, you don't know where it's going to lead, but already there's so many potent ideas and like next little steps that are going to come to hopefully just bring you more joy.
0: Yeah. That's it. Joy. Think small. What feels good to you? Take one little bunny step and then DM us and tell us, (laughs) share the episode. Tell us what you're doing.
1: Please do. If you share the episode and you tag me, I'll be happy to reshare it. And uh, I think that everybody needs more joy and more Trisha in their life. So I'd love for you to, you know, take a screenshot, share it, tag us, and I'll reshare it.
0: Yay. Thank you so much. Thank Kathy. you.
1: My pleasure.
0: All right. I hope you guys really love that episode and love Kathy. Go check out her book, Don't. Keep Your Day Job podcast. Don't Keep Your Day Job. You can find her on Instagram at Kathy Heller or Kathy dot and KathyHeller com. Uh, I really loved hearing her story and like how she built this business that you can tell she's so passionate about waking people up, right, to living what their purpose is and what actually sparks them. So Go check her out and um, please share the episode and tag us. We'd love to know what you think. Please subscribe to my podcast, Claim It, and leave a review here. I love knowing what you think and that also helps the podcast get found by more people. If you do, please screenshot your review and send it to me at podcast at geologist dot com. And I'll send you a little gift from my product line. I have not just the keychains, but I have journals, notepads, mugs, wine glasses, all sorts of things, including my own awesome affirmation deck to empower you to own who you are, to claim your joy, to claim your worth, because, man, it's easy to forget. So have these reminders all over. I need my own reminders. I'm looking at a mug right now that says everything is going my way. (laughs) I've got stuff all over. I got an affirmation card on my desk right now that says doubt your doubts. I doubt my doubts. One of my favorite affirmations. Doubt your doubts. So go check out the product line, shop.yourjoyologist.com. Get my app. Daily Inspiration app is also called Own Your Awesome in the Google Play and Apple App Store. All the links will be in the show notes. And let's have the final thought be, how can I own my awesome right now? So that's maybe acknowledging yourself for something that you did, for who you are, for a characteristic about yourself that you love. How can you own your awesome? All right. Find me at your geologist on social media and keep on listening to episodes or catch the next one that comes out on Mondays.